everybody, Mike Dempsey here for Underdog Fantasy, who are handing out $1 million in giveaways on Super Bowl Sunday. All you need is a verified Underdog account to be eligible. So sign up for Underdog Fantasy and see if you win this Sunday. Underdog Fantasy, don't forget to use promo code 1010XL. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Less than 48 hours until Super Bowl 58 and the end of the NFL season. You know, I was thinking about this driving in. We are the 181-day mark that the Jacksonville Jaguars played a preseason football game in Dallas. If you'll remember, that was Nathan Rourke. Remember that play? Nathan Rourke keeping the drive alive and throwing it into the end zone, avoiding the sack in the preseason opener. Yeah, that was 181 days ago. That was this football season. And it comes to an end on Sunday in Super Bowl 58. And then you wait 28 days. And free agency will be here. That is the new NFL league calendar in a nutshell, but I'm certainly not complaining about it. We got a heavy guest lineup tonight, Brad Spielberger, pro football focus. He is their salary cap guy at PFF. We're going to kind of lay a blueprint out for the Jaguar offseason. Brad Spielberger comes up in less than 15 minutes. R.J. Saunders, you hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show. He has an NBA program starting Sunday mornings here on 1010XL beginning at 11 a.m. So we'll talk a little NBA with RJ. We'll promote that show, Open Gym, with RJ Saunders Sunday at 11 a.m. So we'll have RJ on, also Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, as we'll preview Florida and Auburn on the hardwood tomorrow, among many other Florida Gator athletic topics. So we're pretty jammed over the next two hours We are glad you are with us. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Couple of big deals of the night. First and foremost, don't want to spend too much time on it. Fred Taylor did not get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's almost... 24 hours old. We talked about it last night. I did not expect him to. Although, again, I still believe this cycle was a success for Fred Taylor. He got into the room, right? He had to be discussed in the final 15 for the first time. If he gets in the room again next year, I think he has a great shot. You look at skill position guys, particularly at running back, the only guy coming on the list is Marshawn Lynch. Fred's got a better argument than Marshawn Lynch, so I was disappointed for Fred last night, but I think he has a better chance. I don't think it's a certainty, but I think he has a better chance of getting in with the class of 2025. Having said that, the fact that Devin Hester got in over he and Antonio Gates, uh, that's a joke. 
And I like Devin Hester. He was a great player. He's the best return man in the history of the NFL. He is a great player. This is not really an anti-Devin Hester sentiment as much as it is how do you put Devin Hester in over Antonio Gates and Fred Taylor? And for that matter, how do you put Devin Hester in over Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne? That, ladies and gentlemen, was a head-scratcher to me last night. But nevertheless, a lot of good players got in. Obviously, a lot of good players, including Fred Taylor, were left out. Now to the Super Bowl. Um, I normally hate teams that cannot be beat. I was not a Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls fan. Couldn't stand him. I could not stand LeBron James, particularly when he was with the Miami Heat. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots? Ooh, couldn't stand it. Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and the Lakers made me sick. Granted, I was still very bitter at Shaq for leaving the Orlando Magic, which was some of my venom towards L.A. at the time. But normally, the dynasties, the great teams, I do not like them. I do not support them. I want to see them lose. I want to see them suffer the way my teams suffer. Yet with Kansas City, it's kind of weird. There's something about them I like. I like Andy Reid. It's hard not to like Andy Reid. I like Patrick Mahomes, man. I got nothing against Patrick Mahomes. He's a hell of a competitor. Travis Kelsey, that podcast he and his brother do is absolutely hysterical. Hysterical. Kansas City, to me, is kind of a tough team to root against. Now, obviously, if they're playing Jacksonville, my rooting interest is different at that time. But barring them playing the Jaguars, I have no grudge towards KC, even though they seemingly win all the time. And along those lines, I think once again, Sunday night, they will win another Super Bowl. Now, I do think if we picked this game four weeks ago, many more people would have picked San Francisco. There is no doubt that this is a more recent thought that Kansas City is going to win because Kansas City has looked very good over the last month, whereas San Francisco survived home playoff games against Green Bay and against Detroit. But there's something about Andy Reid, something about Mahomes in these games. They find ways to win. And I think they will find a way to win. Give me Kansas City 26, San Francisco 21, and already for the third time in his career, I think Patrick Mahomes will be hoisting a Lombardi trophy at the end of Sunday evening. As we talked about, the Super Bowl brings to an end the year. Denmark, if you rewind the clock back a long, long time ago, back to roughly Labor Day weekend, you and I did our predictions, right? The divisions, the AFC-NFC title game, and the Super Bowl. And I'm curious, man, to see how we did. Uh, we did okay. I'll, uh, I'll play off for them right here. Let's start with the NFC. Let's start with the NFC East. The NFC East, I think it's Philadelphia. I think Dallas is going to challenge them. I think Dallas gets one of the wild cards, but I'm like pretty much every other human being right on the planet taking Philadelphia to win the NFC East. Denmark, you see it any differently? No, I got the same. All right. I mean, Philly blew the NFC East towards the end of the year, 
I was pretty spot on there. I had the wrong winner, but both teams. All right, that's not a bad start. Yeah. All right, let's go to the NFC North. In the NFC North, boy, do you pick Detroit? Are they going to live up to the hype? You can't pick Green Bay, right, with Jordan Love. I'm not really a believer in Justin Fields and Chicago. All due apologies to Taylor Dahl. So, yeah, I will go Detroit. I'll buy the Lions. I'll drink the Kool-Aid. The Lions win the North. And I'll go Minnesota. Denmark gets one of the wild cards. I'll go Detroit's easy. Um, I don't know if anybody else in that division makes the playoffs. All right. We both got Detroit. I was wrong about Minnesota. Obviously, Green Bay surpassed my expectations. But I'm not doing half bad so far. Again, predictions from five-plus months ago. All right, let's roll to the NFC South. Give me Atlanta. They spent a lot of money like this offseason. Maybe a little bit of a surprise, and a lot of people are going to New Orleans. Give me the Falcons to win the NFC South. Nobody else in that division makes the playoffs. I like that, but I'm going to go in New Orleans. They got the better quarterback. Atlanta blew it. Now, they were still alive in Week 18, but I don't think that's a terrible pick. No, all three could have won the division the last week, and – Nobody knew who was going to win that division. Tampa just got hot in last month. All right, interesting. All right, keep going. All right, we got the AFC East. The AFC East is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to watch it. I will take Buffalo to win the division. I will take the New York Jets to also get into the playoffs. And that's it. I don't think Miami makes it. Miami wins the division. Wow. I think Buffalo takes a step back on offense. And I have the Jets missing the playoffs all right mark that one down now i'll defend myself there how was i to know aaron Rodgers' achilles was going to blow four plays into the year should have known so i mean that that i'll defend myself on that one but i did pick buffalo to win the division so i guess i got that and that's yeah and miami mark. led the division for most of the year but he couldn't finish uh let's move on to the afc north in the afc north maybe the hardest division in football i think pittsburgh is going to be very good they're not getting talked about at all. I think Cleveland's going to be pretty good as well. I'm going to go chalk and take Cincinnati. But I think Cincinnati gets in, and I think Baltimore is one of the wild cards. Cleveland and Pittsburgh, though, to me, are both going to be in that 8-9, eight and 9-8 eight, eight and eight range and in the wild card conversation until the very end of the season. Give me the Bengals, Ravens get a, the top wild card. I think the Steelers squeak in at uh, that seven seed. Good job, Denmark. Yeah. You got Pittsburgh. Now, again, Joe Burrow got hurt, which is going to throw off my, my AFC Super Bowl pick here in a second. But, yeah, I, I, I think that we are not embarrassing ourselves to this point. No, not, not bad so far. All right, AFC West. Oh, do I want to do it? Do I want to take the Chargers? I've been thinking about it. At some point, Kansas City is going to drop off. It cannot last forever, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to take the Chiefs to win the division. I will take the Chargers to get in as a wild card with the Broncos and the Raiders coming up the rear. I like the Chiefs. I think the Broncos might make it. I think they'll be on the outside looking in. I think the Chargers will be in the postseason. Chargers' biggest disappointment in football? They're certainly yeah, in the easily. conversation, right? Easily, without question. Yeah, I was dead wrong about the Chargers. They were awful, and that's why Brandon Staley's gone and Jim Harbaugh's there. And I begrudgingly took the Chiefs, and they did take a step back in the regular season. They've obviously found themselves here in the playoffs. Yeah, all right. I don't want to set this one up. I'll just let it play. And then finally in the South, I mean, come on. I've been talking them up the entire offseason. 
Give me the Jaguars. I don't think any other team makes it in the South. Same. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. That's not good. That's the worst of them all. That age like bread. Yeah. I mean, how was I to know C.J. Stroud was going to be freaking unbelievable and Gardner Minshew would lead Indianapolis to nine wins? I mean, the Jaguars let me down there, no question about it. All right, let's go to the championship games, the NFC championship. This is what we had. NFC championship game, I have a rematch of last year. I got Philadelphia, and I got San Francisco, and I got Philadelphia once again going to the Super Bowl. Okay, give me the Lions. Wow, you're a big believer in Dan Campbell. And uh, give me mm, give me the Niners. What? Lions, Niners. <laughs> yeah. You nailed that, man. Yeah, you know what I get for that? Nothing. Wow, that's still pretty impressive, man. I like that. I like that a lot. Again, Philadelphia just imploded at the end of the year. But good for you for nailing the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I looked at the paper like the end of the season because I took a picture of like our division picks. I was like, oh, yeah, I did have this. That's good. Uh, the AFC Championship. In the AFC. Woo. There are so many good teams. Jacksonville's not going to make the Super Bowl, are they? Are they going to send us all to Las Vegas to live it up before the Super Bowl next year? I hope so. I don't think so, though. Ugh. I'm going to go Kansas City, and I'm going to go Cincinnati. I'm going to go Chalk in the AFC. Same here. I'm going to go Kansas City, Cincinnati AFC Championship. Um, who wins? I think Cincinnati's going to get them this year. Oh, well. Yeah, you and I were in the same boat. Now, in my defense, I had the Niners in the NFC title game and the Chiefs in the AFC title game. Unfortunately, though, I believe I had both of those teams losing, right? Yeah, yeah, you did. So, here's our Super Bowl. This is what we had back in September. And then Philadelphia-Cincinnati is my Super Bowl with Joe Burrow and Cincinnati winning the Lombardi Trophy. Give me San Francisco. All right. I think San Francisco beats Cincy. Well, you're still alive. Yeah. It's pretty bad, though. Out of the two of us, four Super Bowl picks. We got one, one of the four. But, hey, again, I had the teams in the championship game. Burrow got hurt. That's just that's part of the game when making picks five months in advance. But good on you for nailing Detroit-San Francisco in the NFC championship game. That is very, very impressive. That was five months ago. Actually, heck, almost more than five months ago now. And, of course, the season will end Sunday with Super Bowl 58. Give me Kansas City, 26-21. Denmark, what's your pick on Sunday? I, th I see a low-scoring game. I think Chiefs win, like, 2013-2017. I like the Chiefs, though. Too good. So we'll both take Kansas City to hoist the Lombardi Trophy. Great guest lineup tonight. Starts with Brad Spielberger, PFF, Pro Football Focus. He is their salary cap guy. Let's talk Josh Allen. Let's talk Calvin Ridley. Let's talk Trevor Lawrence extension. Let's talk about the Jaguar blueprint for the offseason when it comes to free agency and the such with a guy that does this every day. The salary cap guy at PFF, Brad Spielberger, is next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 is all said. It'll be San Francisco and Kansas City, 
And amazingly enough, one month after the Super Bowl is played, the new NFL League calendar begins and free agency opens on Monday, March the 11th. With that as a backdrop, let me go to my buddy Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. He is a salary cap guy for PFF. That's what he does, and we love having him right here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Brad, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? Hey, Brad, we're good, man. Appreciate the time as always. All right, before we dive into an off-season outlook and also get your thoughts on the Super Bowl, let's take a brief look back, Brad. I mean, the Jaguars were 8-3. and three. Things were going great. And then arguably the biggest collapse in the history of the franchise. What do you make out of what happened down here over the last six weeks? Yeah, it was obviously tough so sitting at 8-3 and three and then really just crumbling down the stretch. You know, I think at a high level, Trevor Lawrence was clearly not healthy or, or really even close to fully healthy down for the rest of the season. The pass protection all year was a problem. I mean, the run blocking was even worse. So, you know, operating behind an offensive line that really could not manufacture any plays for you. Um, but the big thing for me really was I was excited about this defense, you know, over the first two months of the season, thought they'd turned a corner, all these young players starting to make some more plays, not just, I know, I know Trayvon Walker's always the hot uh, button issue, but seeing plays from Andre Sisco and, um, you know, at, at linebacker with, with Devin Lloyd, like I thought we were seeing this unit kind of take a turn and then they were just terrible in coverage. They were good against the run pretty much all year, but just terrible in coverage down the stretch, no matter the opponent, um, which has made it harder and harder because the offense then felt like they had to be explosive. They had to score on most drives. And, and like I said, the offensive line couldn't do much of anything. So it really was quite the collapse, um, you know, in Jacksonville. And I'll just throw this in there. To me, uh, you know, it, it, was a, it was a failure from the personnel department, not the coaching staff. Um, you know, Trent Baalke trying to blame Doug Peterson, I thought was comical. Yeah, Trent Baalke had a really interesting press conference last week. As you can imagine, it's got a lot of reaction down here. And my one flaw of Baalke, well, I have several flaws for him, but the main one is thinking they could just run it back. I mean, last year they were 4-8 and eight before they went on that winning streak to get in the playoffs and to come back over the Chargers. And that's all great and wonderful, but at the end of the day, that was a 10-9 and nine football team in 2022 that did nothing last offseason. Their prized free agent was a kicker that Denver cut in the month of May. Now, I know they had some salary cap constraints and they had issues with the cap, but, Brad, they could have done something last year to affect the pass rush or get some you know, help on the offensive line, whatever, and to just sit on their hands and do nothing I thought was a gigantic gaffe on their part. No, no doubt about it. No, I, I totally agree. And, you know, also just like you, when you talk about running it back, like a draft class that essentially didn't address, you know, like di didn't bring impact players in right away. Uh, you're drafting your third tight end. You're drafting your backup running back, both with, you know, second and third round draft picks. And I'm not saying in general, you certainly can draft for the future. And it's smart sometimes to build out depth and, and, and prepare for the you know succession plans in certain positions, all of those things is good, but you know, obviously the players didn't hit at all, you know, and 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 really were not factors in any way, shape, or form in this offense. So yeah, it, it was just 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 a lackluster effort in terms of the players that were given to the coaching staff. I'm not saying they're they're not they're blameless, um, but but I would if I had to pick a side, 
I, I certainly wouldn't be saying that the coaching staff failed the players or failed development. You would fit right in here in Jacksonville. I think much more people, many more people are on the Doug Peterson side of this than the Trent Balky side. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Brad, I think it's safe to say the Jaguars will be a lot more active this year in both releasing guys and bringing guys in. Let's talk about it. That's what you do with PFF. One of your main things is the salary cap and analyzing what's going to happen. And let's begin with Josh Allen. Obviously, that's one of the big topics here. Trent Baalke last week said he will be a Jaguar, although apparently negotiations have yet to begin, which is interesting. That looks like a prime situation, Brad, for the franchise tag, does it not? It certainly does. And that's also, you know, I thought was bizarre. Those negotiations should have been discussed in earnest before the season. Um, I, I know the sack totals had dipped from his first year, but, you know, we had him with 68 pressures, very high pass rush win rate. Uh, the, the, the positive regression to what he did this season is like why PFF exists. <laughs> and I'm sitting there last offseason and saying, like, I don't know why they're not at least trying to get something done here. You know, Nick Bosa is coming down the pike and is going to reset the market which he obviously did, and you, it sounds like they didn't even try last offseason. So, of course, the guy goes out, has what was it, 17 sacks, whatever the number was, um, and, and now he's going he's gonna to sign probably for $30-plus million a year. Um, yeah, uh, at this point, here's the fascinating thing to me. So it sounds like, yes, a franchise tag is basically inevitable, but the Calvin Ridley dynamic to me, this just shows how, like bad planning and bad strategy where – for folks that don't know, uh, it's been it's been speculated. I can tell you for a fact where Calvin released trade conditions. The, the, the condition that if he signs an extension with the team, the third round pick going to Atlanta becomes a second round pick. That is the case if he signs a true extension with Jacksonville this offseason. However, if he were to get franchise tagged and play on that tag, it would stay as a third round pick. It would not qualify that condition. That's what happened with Leonard Williams when he went from the New York Jets to the New York Giants. The Giants just tagged him and played him that first year on the tag and did not elevate the pick. So, again, I'm not saying you should, like, make all of your decisions w within those parameters, but in theory, you're, you're calling Josh Allen's agent in November and you're trying to, you know, again, like I said, already way too late, but you try to iron something out and get it done before the tag window, and then you free up that tag for Calvin Ridley you get both players under contract, and you save a second-round pick, and instead it's a third. None of these things seem to be on their radar. Um, it's just, again, just a failure from Trent Polk. Yeah, that would make common sense. There's no question about it. Again, you know, Brad Spielberger of pre PFF. Brad, to Josh Allen, what type of money are we talking about here? I mean, is he going to get Bosa-esque money? I know Rashawn Gary got paid in Green Bay. There's a thought that maybe he's going to want more than that. Well, what's your thought on where Josh Allen's going to land here? Way, way, way more than Rashawn Gary. I don't know if he'll get Nick Bosa money. That's $34 million a year. Gary down at 24. So, so kind of, you know, it'll fall within that gap. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, this is a guy that is a former top 10 pick, been healthy. Like I said, the, the, the sack production was not, you know, after the rookie season had dipped a little bit. But, you know, and it sounds like they view him at times maybe as not one of those elite, elite talents like, He's good against the run, maybe not great against the run as a true three-down player. Like they, they clearly have some issues, but there's no argument now. I mean, the guy is coming off of one of the best seasons of any edge rusher in the NFL um, and has all the pedigree in the world. I think it probably starts with the three because you also have you know other players that are going to get extended and or paid this offseason that are just going to push that market more and more forward. So 
I, I don't think it'll be Nick Bosa range, but I, I don't know. If I'm his agent, I'm not taking anything less than like 5-150. I, I don't see why he would. Calvin Ridley, Brad, is the other dynamic here that you mentioned. Now, let's assume that he hits free agency. It would be a mistake, as you mentioned, but that appears to be where we're headed if they tag Allen. What kind of money could Calvin Ridley see on the open market? Other great receivers like T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., Mike Evans are also scheduled to become available. How do you see Ridley's market right now? Yeah, so the first dynamic is, you know, do T. Higgins and Michael Pittman get franchise tag, which just pushes Ridley up the board to maybe being the top guy. You know, Mike Evans, of course, in that conversation as well. Uh, maybe, you know, because he's a year older, teams view that. And obviously they're very different players. But really to me, obviously the crazy high volume from a target share standpoint, I do think over the course of the year, you know, drop issues early, I think got way better as the year went on. I do st still think he can create separation at the intermediate and deep levels. Probably better suited now is your move Z receiver, maybe not a true X anymore that can, you know, get off of press coverage. I think you probably want him getting some free releases, more space at the line, but still a very, very talented receiver. I um, and a guy that can produce in probably any offense in the NFL. So I think it'll be, not top of market. I'm not even sure it reaches $20 million just because, you know, 29-year-old player, obviously coming off the extended absence. I projected on our, you know, free agent projections over at PFF, a two-year, $33 million deal that was kind of more with Jacksonville in mind. Um, and again, like, you know, the market can always blossom depending on who gets tagged or who, let's say Mike Evans re-signs in Tampa then Calvin might be, you know, the bell of the ball on the market. But but I do think it's more in that second tier, you know, your Deontay Johnsons, your, your, I'm not comparing him to Christian Kirk, but like that second tier of receiver I think is more where he lands. A couple more for Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. Other guys that I guess are going to be available for the Jaguars, a lot of backup caliber guys, Brad. I won't waste your time there. But two guys that, that I think are interesting, Ezra Cleveland, who the Jaguars acquired from Minnesota, He's going to be their starting guard if he re-signs. He's a free agent. And then Jamal Agnew, and I love what Jamal does as a returner, wide receiver in spurts, has injury concerns, and might cost a little too much for the Jaguars' blood. What's your thought there? Very fascinating, right? I mean, you make this trade at the deadline, but it is a super cheap trade. Like, there's no sunk cost fallacy in play here where they feel like they, they have to get something done. But at the same time, I mean, Brandon Sheriff honestly had a decent year this year, but is clearly just like a shell of his former self physically. Do they move on from a Cam Robinson at tackle and, and maybe Walker Little goes back out to left tackle again, or you know, he goes to right tackle, Anton Harrison slides back over, which creates, you know, another void at guard. I think they should probably find a way to get it done. He's a very good run blocker, and I do think took strides this year as a pass protector, um, you know, doing better against speed to power rushers on the interior and just holding his own. I think it's not going to break the bank. You're talking nine, ten million dollars a year. You know, like mid-tier guard money. And I think I'd probably go for it. He, he's a good player. He's a high-floor player. He's a good athlete. You probably don't want him playing tackle, but he did play tackle in college. So you know, in a pinch, maybe you do that. Um, I, I think it's probably worth it if, if they like what they saw when they brought him in. Um, you might as well keep him around. And what about Jamal Agnew, Brad? What's your thought there? Yeah, Agnew's interesting, obviously. You know, special teams ability is nice. Um, you know, played cornerback in the day, obviously played some receiver. I, I think there, because of, you know, late season injuries and things of that nature, I think he definitely still gets a little bit of money just because he has the versatility, the special teams acumen, does get you a little extra cash. 
I, I think you keep him. I think they love him as that gadget option. Trevor Lawrence likes likes him. Doug Peterson clearly likes him. And I think that explosiveness in the special teams game, um, you know, setting up good field position, breaking some, some big gainers off uh, is valuable. So, I, you know, two years, eight million, two years, 10 million. I think he will come down a bit from, you know, the strong deal he signed the first time around. But I also would probably keep him around if I could. You know, two things complicate this as we begin to wrap up with Brad Spielberger of PFF. Number one, you mentioned guys like Cam Robinson, Brandon Sheriff, uh, Foley Fadakasi, Rayshon Jenkins. The Jaguars could save a lot of money by just simply cutting these guys, some before June 1st, some after June 1st. Uh, with the, where the Jaguars are in the cap, knowing Josh Allen's going to cost a lot, uh, we'll get to Trevor here in a moment. Do you see Jacksonville, whether they want to or not, having to unload some of these veteran contracts? Yeah, I think they do because they either have to restructure them and push these capits out into the future, which just makes it more difficult to spend once Trevor does get an extension, which, like you said, we'll get to, uh, but might be this offseason, right? So obviously you can delay when his money hits the cap on a new deal, but if you're pushing these capits out into the future and you're trying to add more talent around Trevor in 2025, 2026, um, and you have these dead capits for you know guys that aren't even on the roster anymore, it's probably not the way to go about it. So. I mean, Cam Robinson's a big one. You're clearing over $17 million uh, with just a, a standard pre-June 1 cut. Sheriff, I think, is interesting. You, you know, you can clear a lot of money there, whatever way you go about it. And he's going to be 33 years old next year. Like I said, his body is just kind of giving out on him. Uh, and, and then with Rayshon Jenkins, I actually thought he was pretty good this year. Kind of had a bounce back for him. But I, I really love the, the growth of Andre Cisco, and I think you could get cheaper there. And then lastly, Fully Fadakasi you know, it was really nothing the first year. I think he was solid this year, but, you know, you extend Devon Hamilton, you extend Roy Robertson-Harris, you have enough there. i probably move on from him as well. You know, I ask you this every year, but for the people that obviously don't remember our conversations over the years, when people say the cap doesn't exist or you can always work around the cap, the cap is just a, a thing that, that that's there and, and you have to deal with it, but it's very easy to finesse. What's your response to that? No, so, so it is easy to finesse, and, and you can, you know, in the short term, get away with a lot. But event, it's a credit card, right? That's the easiest way to put it. It's a credit card. You can charge things and push that off for a very long time. Eventually, the bill comes due, and, and you have you know, these massive, massive dead, dead cap hits that hamper your ability to spend. Um, you have to make tough decisions to let players go that you actually would want to retain, you know, as opposed to letting guys go that you're not interested in keeping around. End of the day, if you draft very well, you can kind of get away with whatever. Like that, that is the truth of the NFL. But there is no team that over a sustained period just outperforms other teams in the draft time and time again. It's just not a thing. And there is I'm not saying it's completely random, um, but there is some inherent randomness to drafting. And, and that's like the only way to get away with it. So long answer short. It is manipulable. Uh, you know, you can get away with it for a stretch, but but eventually it's always going to catch up to you. Brad, let's end with this. Trevor Lawrence, uh, we saw Burrow get paid after year three. We saw Herbert get paid after year three. Now Trevor is not coming off a very good season, certainly, and, and I think he's the long-term guy here, don't get me wrong, but because he struggled this year with injuries and poor performance, how complicated does that get? If Trevor's reps go into the Jaguars and say, hey, we want to talk Herbert or Burrow-esque money. 
They have to. They've no, they've no choice. And I think they have every right to. And I think he is still worth that money. I know he did not have a good season. Um, I frankly think, and obviously like his PFF grade and stuff like that. And I, I think when I watch the film, it matches it. His production does not match how good he was at all. Like it is a huge gap. But again, I'm not saying he was perfect. Issues down in the red zone. Um, you know, some late season issues, just overall throwing interceptions, making poor decisions. No doubt about it. But him playing through all the various injuries he had and, and, you know, like all the intangibles and all those things that we don't really get to see, but behind closed doors are happening. They do matter and teams do care, you know, missing way less time than anyone would expect with the knee injury, all these components. Obviously what matters more is putting up stats and winning football games, but you know, in his second year goes to the playoffs, wins a playoff game, had a great season. You know, his agents are going to ask for Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert money, and, and, and the Jaguars should do it. This is a, just like Josh Allen. Or they don't, and they help fix the offense, and then jo- and Trevor Lawrence puts up, you know, 4,500 yards, 35 touchdown passes, and runs for another 505, and they're paying him $62.5 million a year next year. Like, you have to, you know, protect against that. He's shown you enough. You know he's your guy. If I'm them – I, I, I want to pay him Justin Herbert money because it will age very nicely in, in like a year's time. So you believe, and again, you do this every day. This is literally what you do. You believe the Jaguars would be better off to go ahead and do it this offseason prior to year number four. Yeah, I, I do. I, and, and I understand the reservations there. I totally do. He, he was not, you know, himself this year. I totally get that. But you know he's your guy. He, he has been enough and shown you enough through three seasons to over, overall um, you know, I guess mainly just the second year um, to, to know he's your guy. And the earlier you sign a franchise quarterback, a number one overall pick, the better, um, because the price is only going up. Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus. We absolutely love it. Brad, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about PFF and what you have as we get further going into the offseason. Yeah, of course. So, so I'm all things free agency. So our top 150 free agents board is now out at PFF.com. There is uh, scheme analysis, film analysis, data, of course. Uh, there are comparable you know, past free agents that, that have a comparable profile to this year's crop of free agents. And, of course, contract projections for all 150 players over at PFF.com. Brad, we know you're busy, man. We certainly appreciate it. Quickly, San Francisco or Kansas City, what are your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I think Kansas City is going to pull it off. I, I will say I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I, I think it skews towards a lot of points, um, and, and I think Kansas City is going to find a way. I know not enough talk about how good their defense is. Um, a clear-cut top-five defense in the NFL, in my opinion, and they're going to give this, the Niners' offensive line some problems, get Brock Purdy under pressure, and the Niners will score. Uh, but I think Kansas City pulls it out, let's say, like 31-27. Brad Spielberger of PFF. Brad, again, know you're busy, man. Thank you, as always. Once free agency gets here, we'll see what the Jaguars do. Hopefully, we'll dial your phone again and get your reaction. Thank you, my friend. Sounds great. Thank you. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Friday evening, and we are glad you are with us. All eyes on the Super Bowl, and after the Super Bowl, Boy, the NBA is really going to heat up. Now, diehards like me, I've been around since the uh, early parts of October when preseason basketball was going on. But I know a lot of you will be going to the NBA following the Super Bowl. And with that, we have a brand new show starting here on 1010XL, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m., Open Gym. 
and that will be hosted by my buddy R.J. Saunders. You hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show. He is the host of Open Gym, and that debuts Sunday morning, this Sunday, at 11 o'clock. With that, let me welcome R.J. in here to Hacker After Dark. R.J., how you doing, man? Man, doing really well, Hack. How are you? R.J., we're good. Thank you for the time, and congratulations, man. I know uh, you and I love the NBA. You and I have a lot of talks about the NBA, and probably long overdue to have an NBA-centric show on 1010XL, and you're going to do that beginning Sunday at 11 a.m. Absolutely. In a very exciting time, you know, guys like me and guys like you, since we've known each other, always have sat back, talked about the NBA, watched NBA games together, and, you know, there seems to be a niche audience here that, you know, wants – wants more NBA content. And so I'm just glad that we're able to have a, you know, a basketball show for the basketball fan, both diehard as well as the casual fan. And hopefully we can uh, give a good show to the listeners out there of 1010XL and 92.5. And you guys can give your thoughts and also hear the thoughts of experts that we'll have on each week. Again, that'll debut Sunday morning, 11 a.m., hosted by R.J. Saunders. R.J., it's going to be a lot of Orlando magic. You're also going to look around the rest of the league as well. But let's start with my beloved Orlando Magic. Uh, boy, the first time in a while, here we are in February, where we're legitimately talking about playoffs. Now, maybe play in, but it's certainly something, something that has not been in Orlando for a few years. And clearly, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, and that young nucleus down there playing the best basketball in Central Florida we've seen in quite some time. Oh, I absolutely love this Orlando Magic team. I know they're not on the scale yet of when I think of young teams that are, you know, starting to make the next step like a Minnesota, like a Oklahoma City. But Orlando is going to be right there in the next couple of years. They have the nucleus. They have two star players in Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner. And I think they're going to continue to build from here. Coach Mosley has really been able to put his imprint on this team. And you're seeing it pay dividends now. And this team could be a playoff team here in just the next couple of weeks. And that's going to be a very exciting time because I think that this team needs that type of a surge after this whole rebuilding project that they've done. If they can go, you know, after the good news with Paulo Bancaro and him being named an all-star, I would have to believe Franz isn't too much of a ways away where he'll be named an all-star in the next few years. You keep building that team. Not, not only, Will you surpass the play-in game? But you'll be one of those teams that will be waiting to see who they play in the playoffs in the next few years. So this is definitely an exciting time for the Orlando Magic. And I, I love it as an Orlando Magic fan, as, as I know you do too, Hack. Yeah, Orlando 28-24. and 24. They're currently tied with Miami. They're actually only a half game back of Indiana for that sixth spot, which would get them out of the play-in tournament. So there's a lot of basketball left. And the good thing for Orlando, RJ, their schedule was front-loaded. They played a lot of their tougher competition early in the year. They have a lot of Charlotte Hornets games left and Washington Wizards games left. I think they got one or two more against Detroit. So the schedule benefits them coming down the stretch here. Oh, yeah. It's definitely not murderer's row like it was the first half of the season. I mean, of course, you'll have some games against teams like Indiana, Toronto may give you a run for your money. Brooklyn may do the same thing, you know, with Mikel Bridges. Um, you'll also have games against Milwaukee. You'll have another game against Philadelphia. But other than that, it, it's a lot of the same teams. Like you said, Charlotte, 
Detroit, Utah. These aren't teams that are really looking to get into the playoff picture and are probably looking towards the next season. And so that should benefit you as the Orlando Magic, who are really trying to move up in the standings in the Eastern Conference and get a better seed. So this could be a benefit for the Orlando Magic after the All-Star break. Um, you know, comes and goes, and then you're focusing on that second half of the season, and it's going to be really time to kick it in the high gear, and the schedule really benefits you, and I hope that the Orlando Magic take advantage of that. You hear R.J. Saunders every afternoon on the Franzi Show beginning Sunday morning at 11 a.m. You will hear him as the host of Open Gym, an NBA show focusing on the Orlando Magic and the rest of the NBA. R.J., I want to broaden out to around the league. Final thought on Orlando you know, it's been tough the last couple of years. Believe me, I've lived it at loss after loss after loss. But with those losses comes the ability to draft Paolo Bancaro, comes the ability yes. to draft Jalen Suggs, comes the ability yep. to draft Franz Wagner when you make that trade with Chicago. So as bad as it's been, and trust me, it has been bad. There have been some dark times. It appears now that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. And I think it, there's going to come a point in time for the Orlando Magic where they may have to make moves to get those veteran star, maybe mid-tier guys to really fill out the rest of that roster. It's great to have a young team. We've seen OKC do what they kept their young guys. Now they're one of the top seeds in the West. You're also seeing it um, just a tad bit with with the Minnesota Timberwolves and you're seeing the great season they're having. I think you're going to need a couple of veteran pieces for the Orlando Magic. I think as we said at the top, you you have your young nucleus, you have a lot of great young guys, but you're going to need a couple of star or veteran guys that can really fill out that roster and help those young guys learn how to win games. Paolo is learning how to do it. Franz is learning how to do it. They have the ability to do it, but if they don't have it going on a particular night, that's when you need those veteran guys, and I think that's going to be the next step for the Orlando Magic. I'm excited to see what they do. Um, you know, this rebuilding process, I think you can say it it's worked so far, but now you got to start putting the uh, the co-stars around your two frontline stars in Franz and Paolo. And to that point, Orlando projected $45 million in cap space heading into this summer, so they could definitely max out a very good player in free agency if they choose to do so. RJ, as we broaden out around the NBA, let's begin quickly in the Eastern Conference. Is the Eastern Conference playoffs going to be the Boston Celtics Invitational? I mean, is anybody going to give them anything in the playoffs? Oh, man, it's it's certainly difficult. They do look like a team that's just looking towards the playoffs and they're just thinking about, you know, the NBA Finals. But I do think there are a couple of teams that may say not so fast. And it's going to depend on whether Joel Embiid comes back this season or not. But if he does in the way that he had been playing, maybe he gives Boston a little bit of trouble. I don't, you know, know about Cleveland yet. Cleveland hasn't been in that position. The New York Knicks, who I feel made, you know, a couple of the best trades this season just to fill out their team, they have an identity. And that may be a scary team, a team that has an identity, a team that has a purpose. They've had the coach. You now have the all-star and you got the supporting pieces around him. I, I think they can, you know, match up well with the Boston Celtics in a seven-game series. However, the downfall of the New York Knicks has been they haven't been there yet. The Boston Celtics have. They have guys who have been there in Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Derek White. 
So it may come down to experience in those late playoff games and those late game situations where every possession matters. So it could be the Boston Celtics invitational, but a couple of those other teams that are sneaking around there in the Eastern Conference may have something to say. I'm definitely excited to see what happens. Final moments with R.J. Saunders. He is the host of the brand-new show Open Gym, an NBA program that debuts 11 a.m. Sunday morning here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. R.J. to the West, I know you love your Lakers, and I think they'll they'll hang around in the playoff mix, but clearly at the top of the Western Conference, boy, it's a jumbled mess from Minnesota yeah. to Denver to Oklahoma City, and all of a sudden it looks like James Harden and – you know, uh, Paul yeah. George and Kawhi Leonard, it looks like that's working with the Clippers right now. Oh, it definitely seems to have figured itself out. You know, they had the rough start when James first got there. Everybody said, uh, they shouldn't have made the trade. See, we knew that this would, wasn't going to work out. You know, it's the Los Angeles Clippers. They always seem to make, you know, crazy signings and crazy trades and things like this. And, and this is the cherry on top. But now – that team has been one of the better teams over the last month, month and a half. And really they're making noise as well. I mean, you know, but in that Western conference, like you said, it is, it is a mess between those top four C's. I mean, the Clippers were a one seed, um, you know, two days ago, they lose to new Orleans. They dropped to four. This, every game is going to matter in the Western conference, especially when it comes to seating, because you have the Phoenix suns there that are going to be waiting. You have, the New Orleans Pelicans that are going to be there waiting. And those are teams that are no slouches either. And as you said, the Los Angeles Lakers can hang around and they may hurt somebody's feelings in the first round like they did last year. Nobody expected them to hurt anybody's feelings in the first round last year with the team that they had due to their inexperience, but they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals. This is the wild, wild West. It's reminding me of 2009 when, when Kobe and the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets when they had Carmelo and you remember those jazz teams with Carlos Boozer and that was a really wild Western Conference that year it's definitely giving me the same vibe this year oh the second half of the season is going to be something crazy Hack. yeah like I said the Eastern Conference potentially could be the Celtics Invitational the Western Conference you just throw your hands in the air I mean you could see upsets galore I mean as it stands right now at the time you and I are talking Golden State wouldn't even be in the play-in that is how right. crazy the Western Conference is. If they get hot, you know, they're capable of beating anybody on any given night. So it'll be a lot of fun. I love it. All right, RJ, as we say goodbye, I want to get a Super Bowl prediction out of you first. But tell us about the show again, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., open gym, the debut. You're going to have it every Sunday at 11 through the NBA mm -hmm. Finals, talking NBA with us here on 1010XL. Absolutely. The basketball show for the basketball fan. We'll be talking Orlando Magic basketball. We'll also look around the NBA and give the news and notes there, have experts come on. We'll have a, a great show on Sunday. Dante Marcatelli will be joining us at 11.15 to talk about Paolo Bancaro being an all-star. Even Shaquille O'Neal, who will be getting his jersey number retired in Kia Arena, in the Kia Center, I mean. Um, he'll be able to talk about that as well and just that young team and as they continue to grow. And then we'll have Kurt Heelan at 11.30 of NBC Sports, who will talk with us about, you know, the NBA 65 game rule, now with Joel Embiid not being eligible to win MVP. He'll also talk about the buyout market, and who are going to be a couple of teams that will look to be aggressive in the buyout market as we get to the second half of the season, heading into All-Star break. So we'll have all that and more 
uh, on Open Gym Sundays at 11, and hope you guys can listen in on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. I'll be listening. You're a good dude. You're a big-time NBA fan. I'm happy for you. Tell Dante Marcatelli hello for me. He's also a good buddy, and I have him on a bunch here on Hacker After Dark. All right, RJ, after your show on Sunday, obviously Super Bowl 58, what's your prediction, Chiefs 49ers? Oh, man, it, it, it's so tough, but I'm I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I did the last time that the Chiefs and 49ers matched up in the Super Bowl. I just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. I know you've been hearing that a lot on your show from the experts that you have on that, you know, you just can't bet against them anymore. And it really depends on who gets hot, you know, towards the end of the season. And it definitely seems like Kansas City is just the hotter team right now. And I think that Patrick Mahomes is going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy one more time, but it's not going to be easy. I have 23-19 as the final score, but Kansas City will come out on top. Yeah, great minds think alike. I got the Chiefs 26-21, so I think you and I have about the same type game. Again, R.J. Saunders, you hear him every afternoon on the Franzi Show and beginning Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Open Gym, the basketball show for the basketball fan right here on 1010XL. RJ, I'll be listening, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Hack. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Into the 9 o'clock hour. We're with you till 10 o'clock here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Again, thank you to my buddy RJ Saunders. He is the new host of Open Gym. Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock talking NBA, and I'm certainly looking forward to listening to that. RJ's a good dude, and I'm happy for him for this opportunity to talk a little NBA here in the city of Jacksonville on Sunday mornings. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, we will go down to Gainesville at the bottom of the hour. My buddy Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. Boy, Todd Golden, Florida basketball, they have a big one tomorrow against Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers. We'll talk a little Billy Napier, a little Florida Gator football as well with Andrew Spivey. That comes up in about a half an hour. But coming up next, it's draft time. Every week here on Hacker After Dark, we're going to give you at least one or two perspectives on the upcoming draft. This week, my buddy John Vogel. Draft Vogel is where you follow him on social media. He's with the NFL Draft Lounge, among many other podcasts. John's been covering the draft for years. I want to talk to him about the 24 draft class, certainly, but I want to spend some time on Anton Harrison, spend some time on Devin Lloyd, Trayvon Walker, Luke Fortner, some of the young Jaguars and where he sees them going from here. John Vogel of the NFL Draft Lounge is coming up next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL. And it's 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror. Pro days will begin before long. Of course, the Combine less than a month away. And before you know it, it will be the NFL Draft in late April. With all that being said, let me welcome in John Vogel, the NFL Draft Lounge. You can also catch him on the Zick Podcast. We'll get him to tell you all about that in just a moment. John's one of our guys when it comes to draft coverage here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. John, how you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? John, we're good, man. Thank you for the time, as always. And, boy, it's your time of year. I know you're fresh back from the Senior Bowl. I want to throw a lot at you. But first and foremost, just your thoughts on the festivities out in Mobile. How was that week? 
Oh, man, it's always a great week. I mean, Jim Nagy and Molly Middleton and that crew do a great job putting it together, you know, making it a great experience for the players, for the team, and a really good experience for the media. So you always get a chance to go down there, learn a whole lot, learn a lot about, you know, the players, the prospects, get to meet a lot of people. Uh, I like to hang out on Friday at the hotel and run into a lot of their family and their friends that come to see them. And, you know, that's just part of the process is, you know, understanding kind of the background of these guys and where they come from and what's important to them. And you really get to see that firsthand. Yeah, I echo those sentiments. I've been out there a number of times as well and completely agree. And I want to get into the 24 draft class with you, John, obviously. But before we get there, let's spend a moment or so on some younger guys here in Jacksonville. You've covered the draft for many years. We've had you on for many years. And amidst the collapse at the end of the year, which obviously was the big story, one thing that I thought might be overlooked a little bit is, boy, Trayvon Walker figured something out, it looked like, in the last month and a half of the oh, yeah. season. Uh, your thoughts on Trayvon Walker and, and what you see for him moving forward because he was pretty good towards the end of the year. Oh, yeah, and got to the double-digit sack number. That's always a huge deal, right? I think the biggest thing with Trayvon was, you know, when he came out of school, was he had a lot of raw athletic upside, right? And when we say raw athletic, we're talking about maybe not as refined as a pass rusher in the set in the understanding of how to attack a, a tackle and how to set him up and for success, you know? And so that's kind of what he's figured out. I think you also have to remember this guy didn't play a lot of snaps at Georgia. I think he came out with less than 1200 snaps that he played over his career in three, four years there, which is not a very large number. So now that he's got a lot more snaps under his belt, he's been learning from Josh Allen and some of the other guys there in Jacksonville, he's starting to really find his groove. And one of the things that stood out when he came out, too, was his upper and his lower body were always in almost perfect sync with each other at all times, which that's a huge thing. It's a very rare thing that you see on tape, and that's probably why he went goes first overall. Because when, you can, when you're in sync with your upper body and your lower body, you're using your upper body to win with hands, right? And to knock away and deflect the punches that the tackle's throwing at you. And if your lower body's in the right position, you know, in the set where how you set up your feet, how you stack them, how you try to get them back off the line of scrimmage, that's that's what Trayvon did incredibly well. He was always in perfect position. So if he won in one area, he was ready to win in the second, he'd win the rep. That's what we're starting to see in the last month and a half of the year. And I think that his upside is tremendous. I think you've got Josh Allen that's going to be there potentially for a long time. And now Trayvon Walker. Even if he isn't there, you know, beyond his rookie contract, you've got two, three years now of really high-level pass rushers getting after the quarterback. Yeah, Trayvon Walker from three and a half to ten sacks from year one to year two. John Vogel, the NFL Draft Lounge, will also tell you about his podcast as well. John, Trayvon Walker really started coming on. Devin Lloyd did not. Uh, it's only been two years, and you hate to use the term disappointment, but I think that term might apply so far to Devin Lloyd. What's your thought there? Lloyd was interesting at Utah. You know, I think that people really bought into the athletic upside that he had. And I, I know that it's been disappointing the first couple of years, but, you know, linebackers are being asked to do so many different things right now that maybe he's been overwhelmed his first couple of years with all the different things that he's being asked to do. Just think about, think about the role of a linebacker at this point, drop into coverage, you know, playing man coverage against tight ends. Now you got these big slots coming around that are really fast. And now you, on top of all that, you got to still fill your run gap. So 
I, I think that maybe the the, sw- the changes coming up here on defense are going to help him out a little bit, um, and help hopefully help him settle into more. What's the term that I'm looking for? You know, something that's more comfortable for him that kind of helps him simplify the game and and play downhill. That was always his strength, is playing downhill. It wasn't necessarily dropping into coverage. I know he had three interceptions at Utah, and those were some – they were great plays that he made for sure. But, you know, when you watch him uh, in coverage right now, I think that he's a little bit of a liability, and he's really at his strength, and you can get him moving downhill and into the box as a run defender. Yeah, of course, new Jaguar defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen coming in from the Atlanta Falcons. John, Anton Harrison last year, look, uh, I picked 27. You don't really know what to expect, and I didn't know a lot about Anton Harrison, but, boy, I figured out pretty quick the Jaguars might have found one there. I thought his rookie year was spectacular. Anton Harrison surprised me a little bit, too. Um, I I knew that he was probably going to be a first-round guy, but I didn't think he'd be a – step in there and play immediately and play at a really high level, but he did, you know, and the thing with him in Oklahoma was he was another one of these athlete guys that you wanted to see kind of clean up some of the techniques, some of the, the, the mechanics of setting into your anchor and, you know, getting into a pass set and understanding how to, to win. But yeah, he had a really great year. Uh, I think there was a maybe a little bit of a fall off at the end of the year, but overall, I think that you know when you you can keep your quarterbacks from being sacked what less than thirty times, if I'm not mistaken, over the course of a season, that's pretty awesome. Well, and the one thing too with Harrison that he didn't play right tackle in Oklahoma. That was his first year really playing right tackle in the NFL. Now we'll see what happens. There is some question about Cam Robinson's future here in Jacksonville, potentially moving Anton to the left side. We'll have to see how that plays out. John, it's a good thing, man, that Anton Harrison had a good rookie year because the rest of the rookie class didn't do very much. Uh, Brenton Strange in round two, Tank Bigsby in round three. Uh, Good grief, man. I think Strange might have had more holding penalties than catches, and I'm not kidding about that. (laughs) I think Bigsby might have had more fumbles than first down carries, and I'm not kidding about that. That was – those guys got some work to do this offseason. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, that is when you watch Tank and how he played at Auburn, he really needed a lot of carries to get into a game and really get more involved. And if you also look, too, Travis Etienne kind of became the number one running back this year, right? There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, shift. There weren't a lot of a spell-type, you know, instances where you're pulling him off the field and doing something because he's just so useful as a runner both between the tackles and outside, and then also as a receiver. So I think that uh, when you compare what Jacksonville did compared to some of these other teams in the NFL, you look at ETN having 270 carries this year, the other two guys having 90, that says a lot about how little he were on the field. And Tank is really a guy that he needed a lot of carries to get involved and get comfortable and really get into the flow of a game. He didn't get that opportunity. He's also a little bit more of a power guy. But I think uh, when you see Tank – Next year, he now that he's settled in, he's learning this offense. He's starting to, you know, figure out what the speed looks like at the NFL level. I think that he'll be all right. My concern about Tank, and again, you do this every day, and and I've talked to a lot of people that cover the draft, and and really people at Auburn told me this too. They love him. They love everything about it. But the people at Auburn told me last year, John, he's a fumbler, right? And what does he do mm-hmm. when he gets to Jacksonville? He puts the ball on the ground. Now, maybe you can work yourself out of that, but that to me is a concern moving forward. Yeah, I guess we'll see, man, because um, I think 
I, I really think that the fumbles are kind of magnified a little bit because of the situations in which he fumbled, right? And that's why they stick in our minds and we remember them. Um, again, once he settles in, I think he'll be all right. I, I don't think you're going to replace ETN with him, uh, but I don't think you can also rely on ETN to be healthy for another year. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of an anomaly in today's modern NFL. There's not a lot of running backs that start 17 games. So he's going to have to step up at some point uh, when that will be. That's to be determined. John, I want to get to the 24 draft class in a moment. Two final thoughts on last year for the Jaguars. What they lacked in rounds two and three, they might have made up for later on in the draft. Parker Washington in spurts last year showed some flashes. And then I like everything about Antonio Johnson. I think he might be the starting safety for the Jaguars in 2024. You loved him last last time we talked, too. I remember that. I think during training camp, you were saying, hey, this Antonio Johnson guy keeps making some plays. Um, and I, I think, you know, what I kind of told you about, too, then was, you know, Trent Baalke's one of the better safety defensive back evaluators, really evaluators in general in the, in the NFL right now. And he can find some of these guys that, you know, they might be more limited on the role they played, you know, but he, he's good at projecting guys, you know, beyond their first contract and where they're going to be by the time they they wrap up their rookie contract. So I think that uh, that showed, right, in, in some of the late-round guys that they've added. The guys that are earlier on, well, the Jaguars a lot of times, at least while they've been under Balky, haven't had a lot of immediate impact players play at a very high level. It's been, a, you know, one, two years down the road when they really start to kick in. So I think, you know, for – you know, for Brenton Strange, you know, it's really difficult for a tight end to move into the NFL, especially one like him. He wasn't going to play as much because he's not so much of an inline tight end. Uh, he's more of a slot guy, a lot like an Evan Ingram, but smaller, more built, more like Irv Smith Jr. was when he came out. So with, you know, when, when you've got a guy like Evan Ingram already in there that's manning the slot position and playing a little bit inline, it's kind of hard to get into the rotation there. And then the other thing I think, too, with that is, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, Parker Washington. It was a, an interesting slot prospect coming out of Penn State uh, because Washington had a lot of quickness, didn't have a lot of long speed. So they were able to utilize that short burst quickness underneath and in those certain situations, you know, to try to take pressure off of Calvin Ridley and those receivers outside. John Vogel of the NFL Draft Lounge. John, before we get in to the 2024 class, tell us about your podcast, man. Yeah, so the Sick Podcast with Draft Vogel on the Sick Podcast Network. Um, you know, we talk about scouting and how you do it. I think a lot of people, um, you know, when they start an NFL draft show, they talk about, you know, the players and, hey, this player's good because of this and blah, blah, blah. blah. And they just say, well, he's really good at this. They don't really tell talk about how – you know, you find those things and how you identify those things on tape, what kind of traits you're looking for, where the league is evolving in different positions. And so we try to tackle all of that, you know, on the pod. And then we've also had a lot of real great prospects come through that we've done interviews with this year. Uh, it's growing. It's awesome. And uh, if you want to learn more about scouting in general and listen to us pick some brains of some football players and kind of let, let us talk through their process and what they're seeing on the field, it's a it's probably the perfect podcast for you. The guy's social media handle is at Draft Vogel, all right? This is what John does, and that's why we love having him on 1010XL. All right, in totality, as we look at the 24 draft class, and we'll certainly have you on hopefully a few times leading up to the draft. Uh, strong draft, John? Weak draft? How would you assess it in totality? 
You know, I think it's I think overall there's not a lot of top end talent. I think if if you're looking for six year guys, you know, that might be able to impact uh, in a rotational role, there's a lot of them. Um, I think what you're also going to see is when we start getting the fourth, fifth, sixth round, there's going to be some pretty crazy trades where people are going to be moving picks, you know, to next year at a very rapid rate. So a lot of teams, you know, we only had 54 underclassmen declare this year, which might sound like a large number, but when you consider in 2019, we had over 140 guys declare that were underclassmen. That's just in five years, a a 300% decrease almost, you know, so the depth of the class isn't there where NFL teams really like it. There's not a lot of youth. It's a lot of experienced guys, older guys that have been have been played through a COVID year and a red shirt. So six years of college football. So I think that uh, when we get to the bot, the back end of the ha- of the draft, you're going to see a lot of picks shifting next year. A lot of really wild trades uh, involving late round picks. That's a pretty shocking statement. So 54 underclassmen this year, over 140 in 2019. I mean, what's your thought? Is that NIL? Is that what that is in college? Yeah, it's it's mostly NIL. And it's the fact that, you know, these guys don't have to take this risk and make this leap into the league at this point when, you know, you can run around and potentially as a top-tier player in college right now, you're going to make seven figures next year in college. You know, so I think uh, NIL definitely has a lot to do with it, but also just, you know, the fact that uh, you know you have the freedom to move around in college—that's I think that's another huge key to it. Where a lot of these guys that used to be, well, well, I might have another year of eligibility, but I'm held back by the transfer portal. Or that in 2019, I don't think the transfer portal existed, you know. But nowadays, it's kind of like you have that freedom to be able to move around and find a better situation where you might be thinking that you can take that next step and, and boost your draft stock per se and make yourself more um, obtainable to NFL teams. John, as we begin to wrap up, again, we'll start pinpointing certain positions and players next time we have yawn. The talk here in Jacksonville, and it's talk that I am leading the charge on, I completely want this to happen. I need big uglies on the line of scrimmage, John. I don't care if it's interior O-line, interior D-line. They need to get better at the line of scrimmage. I do not want a corner in round one. I've seen a lot of mock drafts with corners or anything. Again, we'll see what happens in free agency, but I need somebody that's 310 pounds in round one and probably round two. What about the interior O-line, the interior D-line this year? How would you assess that at the top of the draft? Oh, man, if you want to talk about O-line at the top of the draft, I think that you're going to see a lot of guys come off the board quick and early. You know, between I don't think Jacksonville necessarily has a chance at maybe the top few guys and Alou Fashano out of Penn State. Joe Walt out of Notre Dame. I think those guys might be a little bit out of their reach, but it kind of depends on do you like Anton Harrison to stay a right tackle or do you want him to go ahead and move back over to the left where he's played a little bit more football? Uh, if you were looking for a left tackle, potentially a Graham Barton makes a lot of sense out of Duke. He can play all five positions across the offensive line. So you know, actually played some center, I believe, this week in Mobile. So, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of attention turned to him. Will probably be in a, a mid first round pick if you want to go ahead and move him back over hey anton um i said anton (laughs) jc latham out of alabama is a right tackle that you want to keep an eye on because he's a big powerful brute you know um i think he's going to probably weigh in around 340 supposedly played at 360 this year Um, but he's athletic he moves and he's a mauler 
And so uh, I, I think that that might be a right tackle guy, a prospect that will be sitting there when Jacksonville's on the clock. Do you buy the Jackson Powers Johnson hype? Because that guy in Jacksonville, people love him out of Oregon right now. And the Jaguars look like they need a center because, quite frankly, Luke Fortner hasn't been very good. Uh, I think he's got some mechanical things still left to deal with. I think um, there was a lot of hype about him. He had a few really good reps at the senior bowl that people probably saw all over their Twitters this week and wherever else they, they they get their news. But I think that, you know, when you saw him against some of the more stout, some of the, the tougher defensive tackles and this week in mobile, he, he the, the footwork that he kind of plays with, he's not a great anchor uh, because of his feet. He gave up a lot of ground and had some, you know, also not so great reps that nobody really wanted to talk about. I think he's closer to being, probably a mid-second round guy, especially being a center. So, uh, you know, if he's still there on the board when the Jaguars come around, you know, second round, I think that that's somebody that they should definitely think about targeting because there is some – there is there are positive traits to work with. He's got great size, and he's a real athlete. But uh, I think right now it's just anchoring. I don't know if that's necessarily a, an immediate upgrade over Fortner. Interesting. All right, John Vogel, the NFL Draft Lounge. One more time, John, for the good folks here in Jacksonville, let them know about the podcast and where they can find it. Yeah, they can find it, uh, the sick podcast of Draft Vogel, on, and anywhere that you really consume your podcast, YouTube. Uh, we put up a lot of content over there with, you know, just between talking about actual scouting and how you look at it, how, what you're looking for. And just try to kind of share that knowledge and spread it around as a uh, BC Bricado wanted us to do the the ex uh, Houston the late I should say Houston Oilers Tennessee Titans scout who was very influential in the scouting community. Um, you know we just want to spread that that stuff around and kind of keep the knowledge and art of scouting alive. So, but I appreciate the time, Ryan. Thank you for your having me on. Hey, John, always appreciate you, brother. We'll do it again really soon. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, there's a lot going on. Obviously, the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. The Jaguars have a brand new defensive coordinator. At least hired him a couple of weeks back. The Jaguars were at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama this past weekend, as was a majority of the National Football League. And, oh, yeah, the Gators... Boy, they let one get away on the hardwood. That was tough to watch on Saturday out there in College Station. With all that being said, let me welcome in my buddy Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com down in Gainesville. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing good, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. And, oh, man, this basketball team, do they ever remind you of the baseball team? It's, I mean, you know, the football team, it's like, one minute they're making you think, okay, this is going to be good. And then the next minute it's like, what is this team? Yeah, it was really disappointing, man. They came off such a huge win in Lexington. Overtime, Rupp Arena, so many good feelings going in. And I looked at that A&M game and I'm like, all right, this is a game that, you know, I, I wouldn't pick them to win except A&M doesn't have a great offense. A&M had some guys that had some troubles off the court. A lot was going Florida's way heading into that game and to collapse basically in the last 10 minutes and find a way to lose that game on the road, Andrew. Does that almost give away what they did in Lexington last Wednesday? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think so. I mean, obviously I don't know that the NCAA committee will 
up because it's a, that quad one win and, and winning at Rupp. You know, I will say that winning at Rupp, you know, doesn't seem as tough nowadays. And, and this year, as maybe in years past, as Kentucky's, you know, on a little bit of a downward swing uh, the last, uh, you know, few games. But it, it does. And, and it's one of those momentum killers. You know, I mean, Florida came into that game five and three in the SEC, just two games back in the SEC and, you know, had a opportunity to continue to, to rise up in the SEC rankings, but also continue to solidify themselves in the NCAA tournament. I, some people have them as a 10 seed and some have them as the last four out. I think Florida should be in the tournament, uh, but they had a chance to kind of cement their way in. And, you know, when you when you look at that first half and, and really, you know, most of the game until late in the second half, Florida was dominating. I mean, at one point in the first half, Florida was up 10 points, uh, took it to 12, and then uh, A&M went on a little bit of a run to end that first half. And, and then they just dominated from about 15 minutes left in the game to the end of the game. And, you know, Florida's offense has those stretches where it just becomes unwatchable, where it's like they, they wait till the end of the shot clock and throw up shots. They don't move. They don't, you know, get the ball inside. And that's really what it was for, like, the last 15 minutes of the game. And uh, and it's concerning because even in the Kentucky game, they had some moments in that, you know, game where they just looked pathetic offensively. They did, and look, this is a better basketball team than last year, so I'll give Todd Golden credit. He did a great job in the transfer portal, bringing in a lot of talent. But but I agree with you. The offense in particular, Zion Pullen, I mean, it's okay to pass the ball, right, in the last couple of minutes of the game. It seemed like he was just dribbling around and taking 18-foot jump shots, and a lot of them were coming up noticeably short towards the end of the game. He looked to be exhausted. And defensively, you got to guard the three, man. There were a couple instances right before the half – and a couple right in the middle of the second half where you knew the guy was going to shoot the ball. I think Bradford was his name for, for A&M. You knew he was going to pull up and shoot it, and Florida did not get a body on him, and it was unbelievably frustrating to watch. Yeah, and, you know, that's a little bit of of a out of character for, for Florida. Is they, they've been pretty good defensively, and, um, you know, to, to see that happen was, you know uh, – Frustrating for sure. And then, like you said, with Zion Poland, I mean, you know, at, at times, I, you know, I think you you can definitely say, hey, you could pass the ball a little bit. And, you know, and, and to his defense, guys weren't moving very much. And, you know, he was the guy that, you know, kind of had the hot hand for the most of the part of the game. Uh, Will Richard had that spout where it was, you know, three threes in the first, I mean, it seemed like 30 seconds of the game. I know it was about three minutes of the second half uh, where he had that. He was kind of, you know, non-existent on Saturday. And uh, Walter Clayton was, you know, understandably uh, a little exhausted and looked cold uh, in that game as well. And so Poland was trying to do a little much, but again, get the ball inside to those guys and get the fouls and, and be able to, uh, you know, capitalize there. I mean, AM absolutely could not hit a free throw for the majority of the game and somehow still found a way to win by one point. And it, it, Florida has got to find a way to get more production than this Zion Poland. Uh, Riley Kugel has got to figure out a way to become a little bit more consistent. He's coming off the bench, but still he has those moments where it's like, oh, that's really good. And then he has those moments as soon as like, okay, that's a bonehead play. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Andrew, how would you assess Todd Golden almost two years into the job now? You know, I think Todd Golden's doing a good job. Um, you know, I, I know that 
it's a up and down, uh, you know, opinion on him from the fan base. But overall, I think he's doing a good job. I mean, it, it's it's so tough for me now to to judge college basketball in particular, and I guess it's going to be college football now as well. But you know, a roster. Is, is, a, is a new roster every year. No longer is it the, hey, let's recruit some guys, maybe recruit one one-and-done or two one-and-dones, and then recruit three guys that are going to be guys that are going to be four-year starters for your team, and you're going to build a team. I mean, it seems like every year you – all these top teams are, you know, basically going out and getting a whole new team of transfers and maybe you have one or two guys that stick around. So, you know, I think he did a really good job of going out in the transfer portal this year and landing some big guys and pulling is a, is a really big one. Uh, I think that was a big pull for him. Clayton was a big one as well. And, you know, I, I think this team is better. Like you said, last year, I think they're starting to kind of show what Todd Golden wants to be. And that's to be a physical team uh, that gets up and down on the court and, they just got to be more consistent. But again, you're, you're talking about five guys that had never played together before, you know, October. You know, and there was some lean years in the latter tenure of Mike White and maybe even last year with Todd Golden. And you're right there in Gainesville, so you let us know. But a lot of sellouts this year. And I know there's another sellout coming up this weekend, right, when Auburn comes in. So people are starting to care about Gator basketball again, which is obviously a good thing in, in, in uh, relation to what Todd Golden is building down there. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you look at the, the fan base and, you know, you look at our message boards and, you know, you look at social media, and, and, and there definitely is. The interest is definitely – uh, with the basketball team, and they're definitely interested in the team. And you know, I, I again, I think that that's uh, good for Todd Golden, and that's what's unique about the University of Florida is you know, uh, fans care about all sports at, at the University of Florida. If the soccer team's terrible, uh, they're going to be asking for the soccer coach to be fired. Uh, that's a good thing and a bad thing if for if for the team and the coaches. Uh, you know, that pressure is there, but uh, again. There's no lack of energy in the, uh, I still call it the O-Dome, for this game and for this team. And, uh, you know, again, they need to finish strong. You know, you you look at most people, they want to have 20 wins, and yet they want you to have eight SEC wins. So Florida needs to finish strong. They need five more wins overall, and they need to get that three more SEC wins, and then they probably need to have a a good run in that SEC tournament if they're going to – really solidify a, a good seed in the NCAA tournament. Is that as cut and dry, Andrew, as it is this year? They make the tournament, it's a success. They don't, it's a failure? I mean, I think you need to win a game. I mean, I don't I don't think that, you know, at the University of Florida should be satisfied about making the field of 65. I, I just, I, to me, making the field of 65 should almost be a, a, a given every year. I mean, you know, big programs shouldn't be worried about making it. I, you know, I think you need to, to, you know, go in there and make some noise. I mean, whether that's winning one game or two games or whatever, I think you need to go in there and make some noise. Uh, being just in the tournament should not be uh, the standard. And if that's the standard, then, you know, the standard has fallen tremendously since the Billy Donovan years. Andrew Spivey, GatorCountry.com. Quickly, Andrew, um, Florida football, since the last time you and I talked, uh, I guess Joe Houston, right, from New England, coming in to run the special teams down in Gainesville. I guess that shows some growth, right, from Billy Napier that he had maybe too much on his plate, and it looks like special teams now will be handled by somebody else. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he and the uh, and Chris Couch are going to co-run that special teams unit together. And, you know, the one thing I guess is interesting is, you know, he also gets the title of uh, uh, situational management, I believe, is, is how they – uh, named it or game management, one of those two, where, you know, he's going to be in charge of, you know, kind of making sure that the right people are on the field. And, you know, to me, Ryan, and I mean, maybe I'm just too old school, but that just seems pathetic that you have to have a coach to do that. Uh, you know, I when I was coaching, you know, it was a group effort of making sure you had the right people on there. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever fixes the problem of, not having two number threes on the field or not having your offensive and special teams unit on the field at the same time, whatever fixes that, uh, let's do it. Um, and hopefully, you know, that this special teams unit becomes special teams again and, you know, has a, a pride about itself to where it can win some football games for you or definitely, you know, turn some football games for you. I, I just um, – I, it makes no sense to me, Ryan, and you cover the NFL, and, and you know this more than anybody, but if you're going to play in the NFL for a long time, you better have pride on special teams, and you better be able to play special teams. And For the last few years at the University of Florida, playing special teams was almost like you didn't want to do that. Yeah, and special teams was an embarrassment last year for Florida, so they had to do something. So I like the fact they have done something this offseason. We'll see if that translates well on the field. Quickly, I know you were at the Senior Bowl, but I, the last time you and I talked, it was prior to the Under Armour festivities in Orlando. You got up close and personal with DJ Lagway uh, down there. What were your thoughts on Lagway that week? And I know he's now on campus there in Gainesville. Everything is advertised. DJ Lagway is the truth. I mean, he is really, really good. He is poised on and off the field. He is a leader on and off the field. Uh, he is physically already, you know, pretty close to being ready to play in the SEC. Uh, he has all the tools. He, there's not a throw he can't make. Uh, he, he understands that, you know, when to run, when not to run. And he understands, you know, there's some balls that I need to throw 100 miles an hour. There's some balls that I can, you know, throw a change up. And I, I think that the, the biggest thing for me with DJ Lagway is people just – like to be around him and, and guys kind of attract to him and I think that's going to be a big thing is for the first time in a long time the quarterback at the University of Florida when DJ Lagway is going to be out there is going to be the leader of the football team and you know that's not a, a knock on Mertz that's not a knock on uh, Richardson or anyone else but they, they just weren't that vocal leader that DJ Lagway is and uh, it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing and you know I, I hope there's some packages for him this year uh, to get in there he's definitely a physical runner a gifted runner uh, and I, I just think that the the sky is the limit for what DJ Lagway can do uh, in his career at Florida and in the NFL yeah and he kept skyrocketing up the rankings boards I think he ended up on most recruiting websites as the number one quarterback in the nation for the class of 2024 final moments with Andrew Spivey of GatorCountry.com you're fresh back from Mobile Alabama you were out there for Senior Bowl festivities Andrew by all indications man a really good week for Florida wide receiver Ricky Pearsall unbelievable week I mean he he uh, he left after the uh two days of practice because uh, his agent advised him and a couple other guys that he advises that uh, they had done what they needed to do. And, you know, I, I hate it, Ryan, because 
guys didn't stay for the whole week and play in the game. And uh, as a guy who grew up in Mobile, I, you know, the, the Senior Bowl special and to see guys play. And there was a long list of guys that didn't play in the game uh, for fear of injury. And I hate it, but, you know, it's the nature we live in. But uh, Ricky Pearsall had two really good weeks. You know, everyone wants to remember that one-handed catch he had this season. And he had a one-handed grab that was unbelievable as well in uh, practice. And, you know, some uh, one of the scouts for a team came up to me and was talking, and he goes, this guy looks like he could roll out of bed and get wide open. Has that been the case his whole career? And I'm like, well, for the two years I've watched him, I hadn't seen him be guarded very often. And I, that was just the overwhelming, uh, you know, statement out there is that he can get open uh he was doing it against the top uh dbs out there uh and and, and the the thing for ricky is not only does he get open but he he very rarely drops balls and I, that's just a big thing you know i had a lot of guys uh, see drops out there from other uh other players from other teams this week and ricky didn't have that and so i i think ricky definitely solidified himself as a day two pick um, out there, and, and I think he showed guys that he's going to be a long-term NFL vet. Uh, I said this to someone, maybe he never makes a Pro Bowl, maybe he never is, you know, uh, a 1,000-yard receiver, but he's going to be a guy that's going to play on every special team. He's going to do what you want him to do, and he's probably going to be five or 600 yards every year, and he's going to be looking back in 10 years, and we're going to say, man, that guy's still in the league. Andrew Spivey is one of our guys down in Gainesville. He does a terrific job there at GatorCountry.com. Andrew will reconvene again around spring football time brother thank you as always absolutely ryan take care buddy and thank you to andrew spivey gatorcountry.com for joining us tonight here on hacker after dark the gators got a big one going up against auburn tomorrow down in gainesville obviously they won't let one get away last week against texas a&m on the road so it'd be awful nice to get a home win tomorrow certainly won't be easy though that's a pretty good auburn basketball team that is coming into Gainesville well that'll just about do it what has been a very very busy Friday night and really a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark we certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM uh, got a lot of people to thank before we do our final predictions for Super Bowl 58 again thank you to Andrew Spivey of GatorCountry.com for joining us tonight Thank you to my buddy R.J. Saunders. You hear him on the Frangie Show every afternoon. Sunday, his brand-new program, Open Gym, at 11 a.m. here on 1010XL, the basketball show for the basketball fan. R.J. loves the NBA. He and I talk NBA together all the time, so I know you'll love it if you're an NBA fan, so be sure and tune in Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for Open Gym with R.J. Saunders. Thank you again, as always to Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus, PFF, for joining us. Brad does a terrific job as we took a look at the Jaguars heading in to this offseason. And thank you to John Vogel, part of Draft Vogel on Twitter. He's the NFL Draft Lounge. Always enjoy talking draft with John. He was out at the Senior Bowl last week. Obviously had a lot of good tidbits there. And I wanted to take a look back at some of the younger Jaguar players, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Anton Harrison, just to name a few. We did that with John. He's covered the draft for years. I thought he had an interesting perspective on a lot of the Jaguar up-and-comers here on this roster. Super Bowl 58 on Sunday. Give me the Kansas City Chiefs. Why? Well, it's simple. One team has Patrick Mahomes and one team does not. I would be cautious for this reason, though. 
If you were to talk four weeks ago, Kansas City, San Francisco, who wins? I think most of us would have picked San Francisco. Remember how great they were and how awful Kansas City looked. Kansas City has certainly looked like the better team the last couple of weeks, but if San Francisco finds themselves, it could be a very interesting game on Sunday. But again, at the end of the day, one team has Patrick Mahomes, one team does not, and for that reason, give me Kansas City hoisting another Lombardi trophy. I'll take them 26-21. to Regardless of what happens on Sunday, we will be back on Monday, and we will do it all over again here on Hacker After Dark. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending your Friday evening and your week here with us on Hacker After Dark. As always, we certainly, certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific weekend. Enjoy Super Bowl 58, and we will do it all over again Monday night right here on 1010XL for Hacker After Dark beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.